Welcome to the 85th episode of the Headkick KO Podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC Fight Night Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen. That fight obviously didn't go the way that many people expected it to, but um, we've still got a lot to talk about nonetheless, and we're going to run through that whole card. And then once we get done with that card, we are going to take a look at next week's fight card, which is going to be headlined by Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos. So those are the two things that we are doing this week. And next week, I plan on getting back into the news and and bringing that um, discussion back, um, just in case we're wondering. So Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater. Obviously, Nobody really wanted this fight to go like this. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting it to be a very, very fun fight, very, you know, fan-friendly fight, lots of striking, um, entertaining back and forth, some power strikes, potentially a big knockout for one of these guys. And I think people are really looking for one of these two to make a statement and move forward in the featherweight rankings. Unfortunately, uh, Calvin Cater gets injured near the end of round one, just lands on his knee wrong, knee pops, he falls down, uh, he makes it through the ending moments of the round, um, and then, you know, it was kind of a question whether whether or not they were going to stop it at the end of the round, uh, they did not, and then starting round two, um, it, you know, it looked like Cater was fine, it looked like he could walk again, you know, it looked like he had, you know, regained um, some strength on that leg, and it looked like he was going to be able to continue fighting. And then fight starts, Arnold Allen lands one big leg kick, and the fight's over. So, good victory from Arnold Allen, right? Obviously not the way you want to win, but I, I still think we saw traits um, from Arnold Allen that were positives, right? He, he did win the first round, so that is a positive. He showed his quickness. He showed the ability to land... Um, if that fight goes four more rounds, you know, it's hard to say who would have won. You know, I, I think Calvin Cater is, you know, he's a fighter I ex- respect a lot. So I'm not ready to say he was out of that fight after losing one round that wasn't, you know, particularly, you know, it's not like it was terribly one-sided. Arnold Allen won by a wide margin. But, you know, Arnold Ar- Arnold Allen didn't have some big knockdown. He didn't knock nearly knock him out. Um, he, like I said, he clearly won the round, um, and he did almost finish him at the end after the injury. But prior to the injury, he was controlling it. Um, but it was nothing that you can't come back from is the point that I'm making. Um, once again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Arnold Allen because I do think very highly of him. But um, it wasn't exactly what I expected it to be. Now, for Arnold Allen, I think this puts him, I think he'll jump Cater in the rankings. I think he'll slide in right at that five spot and booking this featherweight division is pretty tough right um, first of all you've got Volkanovski going up to 155 to fight for the belt and uh, I believe I already talked at length about that but um, let me get this out of the way real quick I'm completely okay with Volkanovski doing this I've seen a handful of comments about how Volkanovski should have to stay at 145 and fight one of the up-and-comers in that division which I understand that sentiment. Um, however, I don't think that Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett, or Arnold Allen, I don't think any of them have cemented themselves as the next title challenger. When you're looking at each and every single one of those fighters, Yair Rodriguez 
beat Brian Ortega due to an injury. Arnold Allen beat Kelvin Cater due to an injury. Now, once again, both of those fighters were winning those fights up until the point of the injury. Now, that isn't the most definitive win, but they are in this position, um, and they did move up in the rankings because of those performances. So to even be in this conversation is good for them, but I don't think getting you know that title shot off an injury is really the best thing that you can get. That's one of the reasons that Jan Blachowicz didn't get a title shot after his fight with Alexander Rakic. Now, and for Josh Emmett, he went out there and got into a five-round fight with Calvin Cater, and you can make the argument that he lost that fight. I did not score it in Josh Emmett's favor. I scored that for Calvin Cater. So when we're looking at this, we have two guys who won their last fight because the fighter that they were facing got hurt, and we have one fighter who won his last fight because the judges scored it in the wrong favor. Who deserves a title shot, you know? Um, so I think we need, I think one of those three names has to pick up a win. Once one more of them gets one more win, I think they'll be deserving of a title shot. But until that happens, I think it makes sense for Volkanovski to fight in February for the 155-pound belt. He can still, he said he wants to stay active, and he will be more active than a lot of champions at that point. Um, he'll probably fight in the summer after that and defend that 145-pound belt against someone who picks up a win. So I, I think the question is, how are they going to book this featherweight division? Because I think that will be an interesting factor, but I do think Volkanovski is deserving of that lightweight belt. Now, as far as booking featherweight goes, you've got four names that stick out to me. Um, and the one name that I'm taking out of this equation is Brian Ortega, because I assume Brian Ortega is still out with that injury. Um, it sounded like he was going to be out for an extensive period of time. I haven't seen an update on that, but he will be out, it sounds like, for around a year from what the original report was a couple months ago. So um, I don't think Ryan Ortega is going to be back anytime soon. So that is the name I'm omitting, omitting from this conversation. And that leaves us four names, the three guys we just talked about in Yair, Emmett, and Allen. But we also have Max Holloway. Now, Max Holloway is not currently... Um, in the run for a title shot. Uh, that's not what I'm saying here. But I, I do think he could potentially fight one of these contenders that are working their way up towards the title. Or Max could move to 155. We don't really know exactly. But um, I think it makes a I think it would make a level of sense for Max to stay at 145 because I don't really see how Max beats Islam. So if he's going to 155 to get a belt, I'm not necessarily sure it makes sense. If he's going to 155 because he doesn't want to cut weight and he wants to put on some muscle and he wants to fight some new fighters, that's a different discussion we can have on a different day. But as of right now, if Max Holloway stays at 145, I think they book Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen, and I think they book Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett. I don't think they do the Holloway versus Rodriguez rematch. That fight happened once. It was a great fight, and I don't think the rematch is what we need right now. And when you're looking at Josh Emmett versus Arnold Allen in terms of who should fight Max Holloway, because fighting Max Holloway is the best opportunity you can get at featherweight if you are not fighting for the belt. Because if you win, you get a win over one of the best featherweights of all time, and you get you know almost 
for sure that next featherweight title opportunity. So, um, looking at who deserves that shot, I think it should be Arnold Allen. Um, I don't. I think that fight is just more entertaining than than it would be against Josh Emmett. Um, but uh, I'm not going to argue if if people disagree. I think the only thing you can't do is do Max versus Yair too. If you do Max versus Emmett, then you get Yair versus Allen. I think all four of you know, however you want to book those four guys, I think you get a lot of fun fights out of that grouping of fighters. So I'm not really going to get too upset over however anybody wants to book that for Cater. I assume that Cater is going to be out a long period of time. Um, I think right now my initial reaction is I don't know the timelines. I don't. I don't have any of that information. But I do think that Ortega versus Cater, when they're both healthy and ready to return, if the timetables match up, I think that would be beneficial. I think that would be a fair match considering they're both coming um, back from some injuries. And for Cater, when he is ready to return, that division's going to look a lot different. Um, you've got Korean Zombie at 7, who I think would make sense for Cater versus the Korean Zombie. However, it sounds like the Korean zombie wants to fight one more time in Korea and then retire. I haven't seen any news of the Korea card actually happening, but it sounds like the Korean zombie is ready to be done and wants one more and wants to head out. Um, so by the time that Cater returns, I'm not sure that the Korean zombie will be there for him to fight. And then from there, you got a question, you know, you've got Giga at eight, Bryce Mitchell at nine, Evelev at 10, Sadiq Yusuf at 11, Ige at 12, Barbosa, Teporia, Caceres. There's going to be a couple of those guys that are going to be knocking on the door of a, of a top five opportunity, and I wouldn't be surprised if they feed Kelvin Cater to someone like Bryce Mitchell, for example, um, trying to get Bryce Mitchell or, or, or any of these new bloods or new fighters um, up in the rankings for some... For some parody near the top. Uh, moving on from Cater versus Allen, we've got Max Griffin versus Tim Means. This was a very good fight, and it shouldn't have been a split decision. Now, I it kind of annoys me when people are like, that shouldn't have been a split decision. It should have been a unanimous decision. Uh, because it really doesn't make that much difference at the end of the day, whether you score it, you know, it's that that annoys me, and if it's when I hear people say they scored a fight unanimously for one fighter, like I scored a unanimous, if if I were to say I scored a, a unanimous decision for Max Griffin, that that really gets me going. But um, in this case, just aside from my side rant there, uh, Max Griffin versus Tim Means, right? I have a very hard time giving two of those rounds to Tim Means. I don't know how one potential credential judge gave Tim Means two rounds. He very obviously did not win that first round um, because Max Griffin landed a big knockdown. Um, round two, Griffin controlled the majority of that round. Uh, round three, Griffin was on top for a large portion of that round. I, I really have a very hard time scoring rounds two and three for Griffin, or excuse me, for Means. For Means. I have a hard time scoring rounds two and three for Tim Means. With that being said, um, I do think it was a competitive fight. I'm not saying it was a wash, but the, the scorecards just shouldn't have gone, and none of them have should have gone in Tim Means' favor. So, um, but, but Max Griffin, great fight. 
I'd like to see the boxing. The boxing was still there. He looked good on the feet, mixed in some wrestling. I was impressed by Max Griffin. I, I, I really like Max Griffin as a fighter. I think he's one of the better non-ranked welterweights. He nearly beat Neil Magny to get himself in the rankings, but he did not. That's how he ended up fighting Tim Means. And I do like Max Griffin, and I think a a fight that I would like to see eventually one day is Kevin Holland versus Max Griffin. If they haven't fought, Kevin Holland is the type of guy where you forget they fought somebody because Kevin Holland has been fighting ridiculous competition since he stepped foot in the UFC. But I'm pretty sure those two have not fought, but that would be a fight that I would really like to see. Just let me double check. Nope, doesn't look like, uh, nope, Kevin Holland has not fought Max Griffin. Okay, um, but Kevin Holland versus Max Griffin would be a very fun fight one day down the road. Now, I don't think that's going to happen right away. There would be some things that would need to happen for both guys before that happens. But um, I think Max Max Griffin versus Li Jingliang makes a lot of sense. Li Jingliang is sitting just outside that top 15, uh, coming off a loss that was quite controversial. Um, but uh, Max Griffin also coming off a controversial loss to, I think, well, I think that, I think that Neil Magny had a better case than Max Griffin to win uh, that fight than Daniel Rodriguez had in, in the case of Li Jingliang. So maybe that's not as equal as I'm making it seem, but Max Griffin versus Li Jingliang is a fun fight that I think makes sense. Maybe a Muslim Salikov. Maybe a Santiago Ponzinibbio, a Randy Brown, a Nico Price. There's some names there that I think would make a lot of sense for Max Griffin. Now, um, for Tim Means, um, Tim Means is kind of in, in a tough position. Now he's coming off two losses back to back, but those losses are to Max Griffin and Kevin Holland, who I think are both pretty good fighters. The question is where do we go next Ooh, i'm looking at these welterweights and i'm not really liking a lot of what i see here um tim means versus miguel baeza i don't hate tim means versus matt brown i don't hate that's probably the way that i'd go tim means versus matt brown i think that makes a level of sense for both guys um now moving on almost called out the wrong fight because I was looking at next week's card. Uh, Waldo Costa or Waldo Cortez Acosta beat Jared Vandera. Um, very good performance by Waldo C Cortez Acosta. Um, I don't know where I stand on Cortez Acosta yet. I I'm not sure how highly I think of him. I like him. I like him. I think he's a good fighter. I think he deserves to be in the UFC. He proved that. If you weren't aware, he made it. This was his UFC debut. He proved he was a UFC caliber fighter, um, showed a lot of quickness for that heavyweight division, good jab, really strong boxing. Um, I think his skill set's a little untested. You know, I think Jared Vandera would have been a little bit more successful to go out there and try and grapple a little bit more. Um, but, you know, that's not Waldo Cortez Acosta's fault. He did a good job uh, winning that fight, you know, when the fight was in his particular realm. He took advantage of that. Advantage of that. And outboxed Vandera uh, for the majority of that fight. 
um, now for Cor Cortez Acosta, I'm not sure who he should fight next. Um, I think he does need to stay near the bottom of those heavyweight rankings. Um, the bottom of that heavyweight division. Jared Vandera was one of the worst heavyweights on the roster coming into this fight. Um, I don't think we rush Cortez Acosta. I think a fight against a, like, Dante Mays would be would be a good idea someone like that maybe a Jake Collier you know someone who I think that would be a really fun fight actually him versus Collier but that might be a little bit too much too soon um, but there aren't really a lot of guys in this heavyweight division so I'm thinking you probably want to take some time with them whether that be like a Dante Mays Justin Taffa Zach Pauga maybe even um, someone like that who really hasn't done a bunch in that heavyweight division. And shout out RankingMMA.com because they are great for, you know, regardless of, like, listing fighters. I just, like, like, I'm not saying their rankings are the most accurate. I think sometimes there are guys who I think aren't always ranked in the best positions. But their website is great and tremendous for just simply getting a list of guys on the roster. Because it's very hard to use the UFC website um, and figure out who exactly is on the roster. So it's good just to see a list of names so you can kind of discuss um, potential fights in the future. So shout out to RankingMMA.com. I'm sure my promo right there for him did him a lot of good work. But um, regardless, that's just me being a kind guy. Um, anyways, Treshawn Gore versus Josh Fremd. Um, I struggle greatly to say Josh's last name, so my apologies to him. Um, but Treshawn Gore, I was very, 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 very surprised by his performance. Um, coming into this fight, I kind of dismissed Gore a little bit, um, at least in my mind. I was not, like, super high on him. I was very high on Gore coming off the Ultimate Fighter, but his performances in the UFC didn't really live up to what I saw on the Ultimate Fighter and the potential he showed on the Ultimate Fighter. I was, in my mind, I was thinking that Gore was going to have to go back down to the regional scene and pick up a couple more wins and some more experience, come back to the UFC, and then fight, fight some more top-tier competition. But um, we saw a lot of growth, I feel like, from last fight to this fight. He went out there and he did a great job of out-wrestling uh, Josh early and he controlled a lot of that fight early with his grappling and then in the second round he gets an absolutely disgusting absolutely disgusting guillotine um, I think the ref should have called that a couple seconds earlier I think uh, Josh was out for a minute before that was called uh, which isn't really something you'd like to see but that was a it's that was a tough call I'm not trying to criticize uh, the ref there but um there was a very scary finish is the point that I'm trying to make with that. Uh, great, great guillotine, though, from a fight-finishing aspect or viewpoint. Now, um, both of these guys were closer to the bottom of that UFC middleweight division. And... 
I don't really think either guy moved too much up or down in terms of who they will fight next. I really do not have, like, I, I do not think that we should move either guy that far up or down. I think that Trayshawn Gore should stay in, in a similar range of fighters because, as we've discussed earlier, he doesn't have the most experience. Let him grow some UFC experience against guys like Jordan Wright, Jamie Pickett, uh, Joseph Holmes, who fought on this card, some guys like that who, you know, Gilbert Urbina is still in the UFC. Oh, wait. Yeah, Gilbert Urbina is still in the UFC, but they fought on tough. So I don't think we should push him too far up or down. Um, I think he does need to get experience, and this is a good opportunity for him to get experience just fighting some of the uh, middleweights near the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, because middleweight's a division where if you get going too hot too soon, like, you will run into some good fighters fast. Whether that be, like, it's not even, like, I don't I don't even know how to word it, but it's, like, tough guys who could do bad things. Like Julian Marquez, for example, isn't really anywhere near those rankings at middleweight, but Julian Marquez will give you a tough fight and can do some bad things. If you give him the opportunity, guys like Chidi and Jokuwani, guys like Nick Maximov go out there and out grapple you, Adolfo Vieira, Kyle Dacus. These aren't these are guys who may not be the best fighters in the world, but you have to be a good fighter to be able to beat them. So you don't want to rush Trayshawn Gore too quickly. Uh, moving on, Khalil Roundtree versus Dustin Jacoby was a really I I think another bad call by the judges. I scored that in the favor of Jacoby. I think Jacoby did enough to win that fight. And I understand where the people are coming from on the side of Roundtree. In the sense that, like, he did a lot of damage. So, he... he but I think a lot of the damage came... In that third round. Um, but it's like. I, I like Roundtree. I think he's a very good fighter. But I don't think he won that fight. Um, I, I just struggled to score it in his favor. Uh, if that's me. I'm looking at the judges scorecards right now. Um, we had one. One guy gave Jacoby round one. Oh my. I. Who. I hadn't looked at the actual official scores until just now. Uh, so two judges scored it in Roundtree's favor. One scored it in Jacoby's favor with a 10, or excuse me, excuse me. Two judges scored it in Roundtree's favor. One gave Roundtree rounds two and three. The other gave Roundtree rounds one and three. And the judge that scored it for Jacoby gave him one and two. Personally, I had it the same as Ron McCarthy, who scored it Jacoby round one and Jacoby round two. And I understand the mindset of the difference in damage, where the shots that Jacoby, or the shots that Roundtree landed, uh, did more damage, but Jacoby landed far more. And I think that, especially in that first round that uh, one of the judges scored for Roundtree, 
I had I I don't think a lot of the big shots that Roundtree was throwing were landing. You know what I mean? He landed a good shot there at the end of the round, if I'm remembering correctly. But for the most part, Jacoby was avoiding a lot of the heavy shots and returning with shots of his own. Um, I don't think that round was particularly particularly close. I think that's a Jacoby round all day. Round two, I think is a lot of the same, but a little less extreme. Where I think that Jacoby or I think that Jacoby was still being active uh, with his own offensive strikes. And I think he was avoiding the the big strikes of round two well, but he did get hit with a couple more in round two. I think round two was closer than round one, but I still scored it for Jacoby. Once again, I hate talking about judging, so I think we're going to leave it at that. But I I have a hard time scoring it for round three in this one. Now, I think these two guys are some of the better fighters at light heavyweight. Light heavyweight isn't particularly the the most, um, you know, light heavyweight is not the best division, especially if you're looking for guys, you know, in the, it's depth, right? The, the guys who are ranked like 10th to, you know, the guys like the top five guys that aren't ranked. I think that's one of the weaker divisions in that regard. But I think Roundtree and Jacoby, are two of the better guys that are outside those rankings. I'd take them over some ranked fighters and some unranked fighters. For example, Devin Clark, Dao Jung. I'm taking Jacoby and Roundtree over both of them. Alonzo Menafield. Eh, Alonzo Menafield's been impressing me lately, but, you know, I'm not particularly, like, you know, I'm not, like, Roundtree or Jacoby you know, homers or anything, but I, I do think they're talented fighters, and I think they will be fighting guys just outside of the ranks next. I wouldn't be surprised if Jacoby gets someone like a, like a Jim Crute level of name. Maybe one of them fights like a, I don't know, man. It's hard to come up with guys in the rankings that are that you you can fight at light heavyweight. Um, yeah, you see, because I think Azamat Merzakhanov Mur- Mur- at 15 should move up in the rankings. Um, re- regardless, it doesn't really matter. But they should be looking at guys in the lower portion of those top 15 and just outside the top 15. Now, we're going to go a little bit quicker through the preview, for, through the prelims and just give you my general thoughts. Uh, Delete say very good performance over Phil Hawes. Great finish. Very, very impressive. I like that. Uh, Marcos Rogero de Lima, good finish of Ancha Arlaski. Um, he came in there with a really good game plan of pressuring Arlaski early and trying to get him out of there early. He was able to do so, so credit to him. Jung Young Park, good, good submission of Joseph Holmes. Um, Joseph Holmes, unfortunately, hasn't had the best of luck in the UFC. Do not be surprised if they cut him. He's now 1-2 and two in the promotion. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him around for one more fight to have him fight a Treshawn Gore or a Joe Pfeiffer or someone like that that they can you know potentially benefit off of. Uh, now, Steve Garcia and Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper you know, wasn't able to get any grappling going. He was hit with a lot of heavy shots very quickly. A uh, very bad night at the office for Chase Hooper, unfortunately. Um, I don't know what to do with Chase Hooper. I really don't. 
I don't like seeing him take that amount of damage, but uh, he can beat UFC fighters because of how good he is at grappling. But the issue is, when he loses, he loses in very bad and violent fashion, where he's basically just getting beat up, right? And, and that's just kind of the way that his style works. Now, Chase Hooper is still 23. Um, I wouldn't hate the UFC to do a developmental deal. I don't know how exactly that would work on the X's and O's, but whatever the UFC is paying Chase Hooper to fight in the UFC, I think it would be beneficial for Chase Hooper to go fight guys at the regional scene. And um, I think it would be beneficial for Chase Hooper to fight guys on the regional scene and uh, go out there and, and beat them and, and still get paid like he's a UFC fighter. I don't know how those uh, how those deals work, how those development deals work, but I think that is what needs to happen for Hooper. Now, Cody Durden versus Carlos Mata. Durden did a really good job of, you know, neutralizing that great striking that Carlos Mata has. A lot of people like Mata and, and were very high on him coming into this fight. Durden just was able to use the wrestling that he's got to suffocate him and get himself a unanimous decision victory. It's a good game plan by Cody Durden, and he executed it very well. Uh, Christian Rodriguez went out there and got a good win over Joshua Weems. Uh, Weems coming in on short notice, not the most well-known fighter, um, getting picked up off the regional scene. I'll be interested to see what they do with Weems, but Rodriguez, uh, I think, made a good step in his career. I'm not sure how, I'm not really sure how good Weems is. Uh, no offense to Joshua Weems, um, but I'm not sure that he's UFC caliber. You know, maybe he's very close. Maybe he's very far away. It's kind of hard to call with some of these guys. If you kind of, in my opinion, um, it takes me personally a little bit longer to determine if these guys are UFC caliber. Um, Give me one or two or maybe even three fights, depending on how they how they fight and who they fight. Um, not one, at least two um, to determine. And it, once again, it's also matchup dependent. But regardless, um, Rodriguez went out there and finished that fight and did so early and in an impressive fashion. So credit to him. All right, so now we're moving on to discuss UFC fight night. Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lemos. The original headliner was supposed to be, I believe it was supposed to be Cannoneer. Oh, it was supposed to be Mitchell and Ivalev. And then that fight fell out, and now Mitchell is fighting Ila Teporia at UFC 282, I believe. Uh, all right. So not that great of a card here. Uh, so we are just going to discuss these. And probably do so quickly. There's a handful of fights I like, a handful of fights that I could care less about. I shouldn't say could care less about, but are less important. Um, but we're going to discuss what we think of these fights. Uh, Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lemos. I'm surprised that Marina Rodriguez found herself in the octagon with Lemos. I think Lemos, or I think Marina Rodriguez deserved an opportunity against someone like Rose Namajunas or maybe even a Jessica Entourage. Uh, it, it feels weird having Rodriguez fight um, behind someone behind her in the rankings. She's on a pretty good 
stretch here with four wins in a row over Hibas, Waterson, Dern, Zhaonan. That is a pretty good stretch. Um, I think she's very close to a title. Um, I think the UFC wants this to be a title eliminator. I, I think the UFC has wanted Amanda Lemos to fight for the UFC title for a long time now. I think if you look at Lemos's who she's fought, I mean, just Watterson, Andrade, Andra Hill, three in a row are three fairly big names. So I think that's kind of what the UFC wanted to do with Lemos. Now, um, I think this is going to come down to, I, I, I'll take Rodriguez in this fight because I think she stays on the outside and I think she is able to outland Lemos and I think she wins more rounds. Uh, Lemos might be able to hurt her with some power shots, but I, I really like my, R- Marina Rodriguez. I think she wins this one. Neil Magny versus Daniel Rodriguez. A uh, good fight here. I'm really interested to see how this goes because I have a hard time judging where Daniel Rodriguez and Neil Magny are both at in their careers. And I could see each guy winning this fight in, in their own right. Now, Rodriguez is, you know, if he wins this fight, it's going to be because he's completely outboxing Neil Magny and he's defending the takedowns and is keeping this on the feet. And if... Magny wins this fight. It's going to be because he's getting this fight to the ground or or he's doing good work in the clinch. I think those are the ways that each guy wins this fight. And the question is which which happens. And I don't really know. I really have no idea. I would lean Daniel Rodriguez right now. This will be one that I want to watch film on. I want to watch some Neil Magny film before I make an official pick on this one because I'm just not sure where Neil Magny's at in his career to be honest with you because Neil Magny gets wins over guys like Daniel Rodriguez often he's got wins over Lee Jing Liang Anthony Rocco Martin Robbie Lawler Jeff Neal and Max Griffin those are his last five wins not his last five fights losses to Rachmanov Chiesa Ponzinibbio he just finds a way to beat these guys who are just, you know, in that, you know, just outside the rankings. If he, if you're sitting just outside the rankings, Neil Magny will find a way to beat you. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, obviously I think Daniel Rodriguez right now is currently sitting just outside those rankings. But I think he could be a little bit better than that. So I think he could come out here and get a win. Uh, I think it's going to be a matter of time to know whether that is the case or not. So I think I need to watch some Neil Magny film before I get too serious on a prediction here. Um, These are not the official picks. If you want the official picks, those go up on Tapology. Don't look at last week's. Last week's might be the worst. I'm not going to look now, but last week might be the worst I've ever done on picks since starting the Head Kick Hale podcast, and we're on episode 85. So last week was rough. Anyways, Josh Parisian versus Chase Sherman. Now, Josh Parisian versus Chase Sherman finds itself on the main card of a UFC fight, or on the main card of a UFC fight night. 
I don't know how many times I have to do this, but why do these guys keep finding themselves on the main card of a UFC event? Why? 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 Does anyone know why? I mean, Josh Parisian's last fight was against Alan Boudot in a fight where loser gets cut from the promotion, and that was on the main card. Chase Sherman's last fight was a fight against Jared Vandera that I thought was going to be loser gets cut, but Jared Vandera is still in the UFC. Um, this is fairly good matchmaking in terms of where each guy's at in the division and where they can go in the division. I think this makes a lot of sense. This is not bad matchmaking, but for, gee, I mean, it's like, come on. Um, I have no clue who I'm going to pick in this fight. Does anyone have a coin? Um, I'll probably take Sherman. He's a much better... Chase Sherman is not a bad boxer for the heavyweight division. But, um... You got... Two, two of his last losses are by sub. I just... Chase... Ugh. I don't know. I, that's not a great fight. Yeah. Um, moving on. Tagir Ulenbekov versus Nate Manus. This is an interesting fight. I think Nate Manus... Or I think, um... Tagir, Ulenbekov, and Nate Manis are two of the more underrated fighters right now in terms of, like, prospect status. Neither of them are very—they're rarely ever talked about, but I think they're both fairly good fighters. Um, Tagir coming off the—coming off a loss to Tim Elliott, but that's not, like, the end of the world for a guy who is only 31 and is making his climb up the rankings— Prior to that, he had five wins in a row, and his only two losses prior to that, all three of his losses have actually come to UFC fighters. So, you know, it's not like he's fighting you know, and losing to bumps. He's lost to Zalgis Zumagulov, and that was on the regional scene at Fight Nights Global. But then, um, where's his other loss? Oh, he's only got two losses, my apologies. And then the other loss came to Tim Elliott. So, good good fighter there in, in Tagir Ulenbekov. And then Nate Manis, he just lost to Umar Nurmagomedov. I'm not going to hold him for that. And his other loss came on the regional scene. So, Nate Manis, not a bad fighter at all. Either 3-1 and one in the UFC. And this is him moving down from bantamweight to flyweight. And I think that's very interesting. Um, if he can make that... If he can make that cut, I, I am intrigued to see what he can do. And I think Manus could become a ranked fighter fairly soon at 125. But um, I, I'd i have to see the scales on that one. I've just capped out on three picks in a row, basically. But, um, yeah, you got to see the scale on that one. I don't really – I tend to pick against guys who are in the fight where they move a weight class. Um, but you know, I think we'd have to see how that fight moves down move, or, or plays out kind of also, I don't know why he's moving down. I hope this was a planned thing. I hope that Nate Manis didn't lose to Umar Nurmagomedov and then go, uh Oh, I got to move weight classes. It's like, that's not really, you know, you, you can be very successful at 135 and lose to Umar Nurmagomedov. There's a legit possibility that Umar Nurmagomedov is a top five bantamweight in the world right now. And I know that sounds crazy, but, uh, you know, 
a year ago, two years ago at, at, at this stage in his career, we were saying Islam Makhlchev. People were saying Islam Makhlchev's, or Islam Makhlchev, excuse me, is the best lightweight in the world and a top five lightweight in the world. Now people are saying the same thing about Umar Nurmagomedov. So if you're Nate Manus, I wouldn't, you know, take that loss too hard. Now, very, very interesting fight. This next one, Mark Madsen versus Grant Dawson. Mark Madsen is good. Greco-Roman wrestler. 38 years old is the only downside here. But wins over Vince Pichel and Clay Guida back-to-back. Not bad, not bad. Grant Dawson, another really good fighter. Went over Jared Gordon in his last bout. Draw against Ricky Glenn. Win against Leonardo Santos. Got a win over Derek Minner. Julian Erosa, right? Some of these guys aren't like world beaters, but he's he's 18-1, and he's beat just about everyone that's been put in front of him. This, to me, is a fight that is going to be very impactful in determining, you know, a future, you know, guy who's going to fight in the rankings, in my opinion. I'm not necessarily sure who's going to win that fight. I'd probably lean Mark Madsen right now. Uh, but I think like the winner of this fight is going to be in there with some serious competition and is going to be in consideration and talks for needing a ranked lightweight soon. Not next. I'm not saying the winner gets one next, but I do think the winner um, will be making some serious strides in their career. Now we're going to pick up the pace. Jelton Almeida and Maxim Grisham. This is scheduled for 265 heavyweights. I believe Maxim Grisham's, he's fought at light heavyweight too. So these are two light heavyweights who just aren't cutting to 205. I'll take Jelton Almeida um, very clearly, very easily. Derek Minner versus Shailan Nurenbeki. Shailan fought fairly recently. Yep, he's got that fight against TJ Brown. Looked very good in that fight. Um, Derek Minner, um, also, a this should be an interesting fight. Mm. I'd probably have to go Shailen Nurdenbeke in this one. Yeah, I like Shailen Nurdenbeke here. Uh, up, and coming pros- up and coming prospect. Um if you were to look at Shailen Nurdenbeke's record, you would not think he's an up-and-coming prospect. You would see the 37-10 and 10 mark and go, oh, he's probably some old aging dude on his way out. That's not the case. Since 2016, he has fought 47 times professionally. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, that should be a fun fight as well. There's actually some fun fights on here. There's not too many big names. It's a lot of interesting fights that I don't really know. It's a lot of, this this card's an example of good matchmaking of guys that are, you know, fairly even and at similar spots in their career. Uh, Miranda Maverick versus Shawnee Young. I will take Miranda Maverick here fairly, you know, confidently. I think Miranda Maverick should be able to outgrapple Shawnee Young fairly easily. I believe this was the second time this fight has been made, and I think I picked Miranda Maverick the first time. Um, Miranda Maverick also, like Aaron Blanchfield and Macy Barber are her, I don't know if those are her two career losses. 
Yeah, she's got four losses. Her two losses in the UFC came against Barber and Blanchfield. So, you know, I'm not going to be out on her just yet. And I think she won that Barber fight. I haven't rewatched that one since it happened, but I th- believe on first watch I had that scored for Miranda Maverick. Mario Bautista versus Benito Lopez is next up. Um, now we're going to, I said I was going to pick up the pace and then didn't pick up the pace at all. Uh, this fight is Benito Lopez's fourth UFC fight. Wins over Vince Morales, Manny Ber- lost to Manny Bermudez, and win over Albert Morais. Got his UFC contract with a win on Dana White Contender Series. Still only 28. Mario Bautista on the other side is 10-2. and two. Win- Last wins were over Kelleher and Jay Perrin. Kelleher's a good win, I think, for anyone, especially someone like Mario Bautista, who's 29 and still coming up. I think that is a very um, good win to have on your resume. And then outside of that, he's got a couple more good wins in the UFC. Miles Johns, good one. Uh, and then losses to Trevin Jones and Corey Sandhagen. Uh, that'll happen. You know, you get caught by San, or you, you fight Sandhagen in your UFC debut. You know, that's unfortunate. And you can get caught by Trevin Giles and Trevin Jones, excuse me, um, and and that'll happen. Um, good fight here, another really good fight. I like this one. I'd probably lean Mario Bautista. Jinyu Frey versus Pollyanna Viana. This fight is taking place at one fifteen. Jinyu Frey. Last fight was a, last fight was against Vanessa Dinopoulos. and Pollyanna Viana's last fight was against. Tabitha Ricci. Um, I I like Pollyanna Viana in her skill set. However, she she okay, she's a good striker, decent striker, developing the striking, I should say. And she has really good jujitsu, but I think she sometimes is just willing to lay on the ground and work the jujitsu and to no positive outcome at all. So um, that can be, you know, she can lose fights because of the, the game plan. However, you know, I think she can beat Gene Euphrey, so I will take Pollyanna B. Anna. Only got a couple fights left here. Jenny Moonhouse Jr. against Ludwig Shalinian. Shalinian, I believe, was, yes, he was on tough. Um, made his UFC debut on short notice against Jack Shore and made it all three rounds. Credit to him. You want to take on Jack Shore in a UFC debut and you make it all three rounds, you've got all the respect in the world from me. Um, Johnny Moonhouse, things haven't gone his way in the UFC. He's 2-1, and one, and his one win is against Jamie Simmons, and Jamie Simmons is still in the promotion. I thought he got cut, but he didn't. He's 0-2 in the UFC, though. Uh, maybe he did get cut, and I just didn't see it, but... Uh, he does not have a fight booked in another uh, promotion. I was today looking at his topology profile was the day I found out his name is James Krause Simmons. That's interesting. Don't know how that happened, but that's kind of funny to know. Ludwig, I'll take Ludwig in this fight. I thought he looked good on tough. Just couldn't get the win over, um, who did he lose to? I believe he lost to Tercios. 
lost to Tercios, which Tercios was looking very good. Um, Tercios hasn't looked as good since, but um, he looked good at that period of time. Jake Hadley versus Carlos Candelario. Another good fight. Jake Hadley uh, lost his first UFC bout, but I'm not too out on him yet. And Carlos Candelario is not a bad fighter either. I think this is good matchmaking. I will take Jake Hadley in this one. Um, poor Carlos Candelario's run into Tetsuro, Taira, and Victor Altar, Altar Amiriano in the UFC. Not the, well, the Victor Altar Mariano fight was on Contender Series, but, you know, not the best. Um, you could run into some easier fighters. Um, last fight, Ramona Pasquale and Tamiz Vidal. Um, I hope Vidal's good. You know, every time there is a female bantamweight added to the roster, I hope that she's good because I, I want that division to be a little bit more competitive. And she is 24. Whoa. All right. Six and one, 24-year-old. I'm interested. Um, I have not seen a single Tamiris Vidal fight. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. She hasn't fought in the UFC. She's got one fight in the LFA, which is a pretty good regional promotion. And she won that by heel hook. Her only loss came to Carl Rosa in her second professional fight. So that's, you know, not bad at all. And that was Rosa's... Where is... That was Rosa's, like, 10th fight, it looks like. Maybe a little bit more than that. So Rosa was pretty experienced at that point in time, too. Uh, so it's not like it was both of their first fights. Rosa was fairly far into her career. Uh, Ramona Pasquale has lost her last two fights. Losses to Josiane Nunez and Jocelyn Edwards. Uh, I will take Vidal in this fight without knowing anything about her. Um, because this happens every time. Every time the UFC signs a 24-year-old from Brazil, they end up being like, if when whenever they add someone and don't make them go through a contender series and don't make them go through or, or go through the tough, they usually end up being good. Um, who was the, I can't remember her name. Her last name was Silva. Natalie Silva. Natalie Silva is a great example. A couple, couple months ago, she went out there and had a tremendous performance in her UFC debut. I could find some more if I wanted to. Um, but it seems like um, Lucindo, Jasmine Lucindo, and um, why am I not? Jasmine Lucindo, and that fight was a great example of those two girls were very clearly, those two women were very clearly UFC caliber. Uh, Lucindo versus Hiregi. They signed both of those girls off the regional scene. Lucindo was 20. Uregi, I believe, was 20-something as well. Uregi was 23. Every time the UFC does this, when they sign a fresh, new prospect that came from the regional scene and don't make them go through contender series, they usually end up being good. Unless they're pitching in on short notice or something. So, I will, uh, that, that's my thought process there. Now, um, that, that's all we've got for this week. This episode's slightly too long. Um, did a lot of rambling there. It's how it always goes here. Um, but nonetheless, thank you so much for watching this episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. Goodbye. Oh! He front kicked him in the face! Kevin Lee with the ultimate oh!